When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Jerry, don't let us for the moment. We have the stars. I'm Spartacus! I'm Spartacus! To infinity and beyond! So, James Cameron Wilson, how is the box office looking in the UK? Well, you may remember that last weekend it dropped by 24.3% because we had quite a few sunny days. Mm. It hasn't been quite as lovely, so I am happy to report that the UK box office has gone up 4.2% last weekend. Um, And that is, when you think of a year ago, if you can cast your mind back, that's 48.4% up from the same period last year when Mm -hmm. the new openers were The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard and In the Heights, while Peter Rabbit 2 was still going strong. If you can remember way back when, then. I can remember you talking endlessly about Peter Rabbit 2, yes. (laughs) That was, yeah, the saviour of the British film industry. Anyway, we have a new film at number one, which has really helped the box office. I might be able to guess what that is. There's a film called Elvis, which made £4 million in three days, which, to take another musical biographical film like Rocket Man, that did actually open with £5.3 over the same period. Mm. So we mustn't get too excited. And I know you are quite keen to see Elvis. I am not a massive fan of the the King myself, but uh, people tell me it's good, even though it may not be um, perhaps a warts and all telling of the story. It's interesting. Who's been telling you it's good? Uh, I've read several reviews. My ukulele teacher told me it was terribly exciting. Um, who else? I had a couple of friends in WhatsApp messages saying it was really good. It's oh. so fascinating, isn't it? Because oh. I've seen only two <laughs> reviews. One in The Guardian, yes. which gave it two stars. Oh, really? I think the review I saw got five stars. Oh, interesting. A BBC uh, news slot, which is usually Mark Kermode, but it was Jason yes. Solomon's. He did not like it at all. How intriguing. Oh, so well. I'm well, going to I'm interested to hear your interesting to hear your review then. I may I not had to go and see it then in that case. Can you believe that in 30 years, Baz Luhrmann has only made six films? And yet, because... Yeah, extraordinary. Well, because his movies are always so high profile, except for Australia, although mm. that had its share of publicity, albeit negative, Deservedly so. Yes, you think yes. he must be one of the busiest filmmakers alive. Yes. But Lerman has other fish to fry, including opera, fine-tuning and producing the soundtracks to his own movies, as well as working in theatre and TV and on all sorts of other projects, 
ranging from art installations to commercials. Hmm. He is a one-man performing arts conglomerate. Yet when most people tune in to say Strictly Come Dancing, they probably have no idea that behind it really was Lerman's first film, Strictly Ballroom. Ballroom, yes. What a wonderful film it was. Yeah. Yeah. In 1922, which he made. 1922? Largely... I don't think it could sorry, be in 1922. Sorry. He's not that 1992, old. 1992. 1992. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, 30 years ago, which he made largely because his mother was, she used to teach ballroom dancing. But since then, Lerman has cast his net exceedingly wide, taking in Shakespeare, the Moulin Rouge, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and he now turns his attention to the life of Elvis Presley. Presley, this is not about Elvis Costello, just in case anybody hasn't been <laughs> concentrating. It is interesting how Lerman tackled subjects already so well-worn. His Romeo and Juliet, or William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet, was by no means the first film adaptation, nor was his Moulin Rouge, nor was his Great Gatsby. And now he is the latest of a slew of directors to make a film about Elvis. It is, of course, distinctly the director's own, and we know we are in Lerman territory from the opening minutes. He doesn't just direct his movies, he writes them, produces them, crafts them, pumps them, and has his wife, Catherine Martin, share in the producing duties, as well as work as the production designer and costume designer. And so Elvis, opens with a vajazzled credit sequence that could only really come from the mind and studio of the Australian showman. One can see why Lerman was drawn to the story of the king, and in particular, his relationship with the snake oil salesman, Colonel Tom Parker, who was always looking out for the next big draw and saw the young boy with the gyrating hips as the greatest carnival attraction I have ever seen. At first, I thought the film was going to be a biography of Parker himself, particularly as Lerman has lured Tom Hanks Mm. to play him. And as the film is narrated by the Colonel, who we first see being rushed to hospital, his is a defensive voiceover saying, I didn't kill him. I made Elvis Presley. Spoiler alert, Elvis is no longer with us. In spite of all the reports to the contrary, he has, in fact, been dead for more more years than he was alive. It's hard to believe that we lost him in 1977, 45 years ago, when he died at the age of 42. Now, I can remember I was, being rather more shocked by Groucho Marx dying, I think, within a day or two of Elvis. I can't quite remember. Um, oh, bless yeah. you. Well, I was prepared for a Baz Luhrmann film, and he does indeed throw everything at the screen using all the tricks at his disposal. Mm -hmm. Sort of stunning crane shots, drone manoeuvres, multiple split screens. I think at one point there was eight split screens. Swirling camera moves, rapid cutting and slow motion. It's all quite exhausting, and you both need to prepare yourself and be in the right state of mind. When I start watching, when I remember watching Moulin Rouge at the press show for the very first time, I wasn't sure if I was witnessing the worst film ever made or perhaps the best. In the end, it did win me round. uh, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis does 
quietened down after a while once we've left the carnival where Tom Parker is working with Jimmy Rogers Snow, a singer played by Cody Smith McPhee, recent Oscar nominee from The Power of the Dog. And then he meets Elvis. He hears of this amazing boy, the singer, and he hears him on vinyl and he presumes he is black. But when he discovers that he is a white boy, he thinks he can do something with him. And they meet in a hall of mirrors in the carnival. And Tom Parker leads him out of the labyrinth and to an enormous career of mm -hmm. success. I think Austin Butler, who he played a he played one of the murderers in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Otherwise, I don't know him. I think he is brilliant. Uh, he sings Elvis's songs, much like Taron Egerton sang Elton John in Rocket mm. Man. He looks like him. He's got he's got that sort of soulful look. I, I think he's terrific. I had a problem though with Tom Hanks. I think Tom Hanks today is as recognisable to today's audience as Elvis was in his day, and he although he's got He's prosthetically enhanced and he's got the fat suit. I wasn't quite sure where my sympathies were to lie because we all love Tom Hanks. He is sort of America's everyman. And he's playing this character who's very defensive with his voiceover. And I just didn't know. I, I had problems with his accent. He's got this lisp. He sounds mm -hmm. a bit like Sylvester the Cat. And, of course, he was Dutch. So he's got this weird accent. And it kind of threw me off. And as I said, I initially, I thought this film was about Tom Parker, but it turns out to be about Elvis and when Austin Butler takes over. But again, I have always had this problem with films that try to squeeze an entire lifetime in two and a half hours. Or in yes, this case, by and large, it's not a good idea for film biographies to do that, is it? Well, no, which is why I think films like Spencer with Kristen Stewart work so well. And indeed, my week with Marilyn, Marilyn being a, another icon who's been mm. filmed to death. So I'd be really interested to see Anna de Armas play her in Blonde later this year. And I mean, I was just looking um, at the people who've played Elvis on screen and I came up with Bruce Campbell, Peter Dobson, Don Johnson, David Keith, Rick Peters, Kurt Russell, and Michael Shannon in Elvis and Nixon. But I have to say, I think Austin Butler is the best that... I, I haven't seen Kurt Russell in the film called Elvis for a very long time. I don't know if you remember Elvis. No. OK. No. Um, I think... It oh, was and of course, Elvis has played himself. I mean, Elvis played himself in many Well, there have been so many documentaries as well. Um, so I, and, it's very yeah. entertaining. It's very long. It's exhausting. Uh, I wasn't sorry when it ended. It's a good film. It, I, what, I, what really worried me was I don't think I knew more about the man. I knew all the facts, all the bullet points, mm. but I never really felt I got under the skin of the man. I never really believed him as a human being. It's one big show. It's one big pantomime, mm. and I missed that. I just wanted to engage in the humanity of that man who, as we all know, was so exploited by Colonel Tom Parker, who took 50% of his earnings. And it's not a human story. Mm. It's Liberace writ large. James, thank you. A good moment, I think, for us to take a quick break. Sharing ideas about money. 
This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rage. You're listening to The Business of Film, where I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson, who's just been reviewing Elvis, the new Baz Luhrmann film with Austin Butler and Tom Hanks. Uh, James, so that's so uh, the new number one. Do you still want to see Elvis? Do you still want to see it? I'm, I'm going to wait for a few more other people to dip their toe in the water first. Okay. Well, it's interesting it but I'm not yeah. as keen. I did note it was quite long, and I don't like seeing long films that I don't enjoy. 160 minutes. Oh, good grief. And then, you know, if one's an ordinary civilian, unlike you, you... You've got to sit through all the blasted ads as well. And you can never time them because sometimes they're 20 minutes, sometimes they aren't as long as that. Yeah, and I have missed the beginning of some very good films by coming in late. Yeah. Anyway, on to the chart. At number two, we have Jurassic World Dominion, which was at number one last week, which last weekend still made £3.4 million, down 40%, with a total mm-hmm. of £27.1 million. At number three, we've got Top Gun Maverick, which was at number two, down a mere 21%, holding very well, with a total of £63 million sterling. Mm. It is now one of the top 25 highest-grossing films of all time in the UK, and it's the year's top grosser internationally. Lightyear we have at number four. Uh, Oh, yes, and I've, I've seen it now as well. Oh, God, sorry. Yes, I just went to the Sorry, I just No, no, it's fine, fine. And, Tell and, me your viewpoint. Well, I went with my son. I enjoyed it immensely while it was on, but it's the spectacle of the the stuff in the air. The actual film itself, if you took that out, I think is rather mundane and, and very dull. Um, I haven't rewatched the original. You said it wasn't necessary, but I couldn't find it anywhere. It's on any... much better than the original, believe me. Well, yes, the original except, is except I was so... having a drink with a friend last night who was saying, oh, no, the original is so much better than this one. What? Yes. When did he last see the original? She. Um, she sorry. it relatively regularly, apparently. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yes, I know. I know. Very, very strange. But That's I mean, certainly, the, you, you were talking about Hanks and insisted on, on, you know, using real jets and trying to minimise the CGI. And it, it does give a feel of immediacy and reality that a lot of films didn't. I didn't understand what was going on in the air quite a lot of the time, but it was very exciting. Yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't bored, but I'm not sure I want to watch it, you know every year for the rest of my life. Well, I like the fact that Tom Cruise was, although he's amazing for 59, yeah. I, I like the fact that he was playing an older man and they were calling him Pops and uh, Old yes. Man, etc. Terribly coy when he sort of, you know, the scene with Jennifer Connelly. I mean, staggeringly coy, I felt. Whether well, that's a new trend in Hollywood movies, I don't know. But, um, coy in what sense? Well, the romance was just very, you know, it was almost as if the moment they got together, somebody prudish had just pulled a curtain across. Well, we don't want to see Tom. Well, anyway, that's another story. Okay, moving on. Okay. <laughs> Lightyear is at number four. It was number three. A bit of a do- disappointment, down 38%. It still made 2.3 million over the weekend. I mm-hmm. hope it picks up over the summer. Um. It's now made a total of six point nine million pounds. We have a new film at number five called The Black Phone. So we're moving from Elvis to Ethan here. The Black Uh, what? The Black Phone. Oh, right. Telephone. Yes. Rotary dial. (laughs) Okay. Not that Ethan Hawke has a huge amount of on-screen time in The Black Phone, in spite of his solo billing above the title. 
And don't get me started on the title, which is a spoiler alert. After I saw the film, I watched the trailer and wondered why anybody would bother seeing the film once it has already been served up to them on a platter for free. So if you haven't seen the trailer and you're still interested in seeing The Black Phone, please, please don't watch it. Uh, the trailer, that is. Having said that, there are a few surprises up the sleeve of Scott Derrickson, Derrickson's film, although the subject matter is blown from the moment of the BBFC's certification card when it's revealed. It's like warning audiences before they've opened their chocolate bars that Titanic has scenes with strong language, nudity, intense threat, and a sinking ocean liner. Mm. So according to the BBFC, the black phone has scenes of child abduction and domestic abuse. The only way not to know this is to slip into the cinema a minute after the film started. (laughs) But that would be taking an unhealthily close relationship with the cinema staff to extremes. One of the great virtues of... Well, anyway, um, when you approach the black phone, I would suggest that you forget the title and... You forget that it's about about child abduction and domestic abuse because it's about so much more than that. If you like Stranger Things and Stephen King's Mm -hmm. It and thought that it would make rather cosy bedfellows, then this is the film for you. It's extremely creepy, mainly because Jeremy Davis is in it and he always gives me the creeps. He plays the abusive alcoholic father of Finn and Gwen, the latter who is psychic or at least the details of her dreams turn out to be true. Even the local North Devon police believe her, although her father, Jeremy Davis, threatens to thrash her raw if she speaks of her dreams again. I'm not going to tell you more about the story. For some reason, the film is set in 1978 when rock and pop stars like Robin Gibb and Brian Connolly of Sweet were in the charts. So the bullies sport effeminate hairstyles, which made me laugh. Not that you should laugh. The film is quite unsettling. It's not really scary, but the dialogue is refreshingly cliche-free and the performances are of a relatively high calibre. It's a little generic, slightly derivative, but it also has a number of surprising moments. And we need to dash through the rest of the chart. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a new film at number six, Jug Jug J.O., which is a very long Indian marital comedy drama. At number seven, we've got Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, down 50% from the wonderful director, Sophie Hyde, in which Daryl McCormack reveals all, as does Emma Thompson. Number eight, we've got... I'm probably going to see that instead of Elvis, then. From what I hear, I was hoping to have my review up today uh, on my website, but Mm. it's a bit late. Um, So I'm interested to know what the... uh, the critic who's covering it says of it, but it has got very good reviews. Okay. At number eight, we've got Everything Everywhere All at Once, which you love, really? down 41%, with a total of 4.9 million, which is very impressive. Number nine, we have an event documentary in the words of George Michael himself, which is basically covers his career and his life, called George Michael Freedom Uncut. And at number 10, reluctantly, I have to admit, it's still in there. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog, Hedgehog 2, <laughs> yeah. down 27% with a total of £26.7 million. Pounds. Okay. So and Anyway, that's the chart. 
Thank now, you. You want to get, have you got a film of the week though, have you? I do have my, the best film by far, by a long shot, is Everything Went Fine. Now, I know we are both fans of the French director, Francois Ozon. Yes, indeed. I haven't le- loved everything he has done. His 2019 release, which I only saw a couple of weeks ago, by the grace of God, about paedophilia, hmm. paedophilia in the Catholic Church, was an eloquently mounted film, although its emotional impact was diluted, I think, by too many points of view. And for me, it ended up being a rather unwieldy, wordy piece. Not so his latest, Everything Went Fine. There is something about Ozon, the way he frames his images, that even a work study or a Paris street or a hospital corridor gains an artistic urgency Everything Went Fine starts mundanely enough with Sophie Marceau framed in a doorway in her office, typing away at her laptop. Then she receives a call on her mobile and the film immediately kicks into action. She rushes out of the apartment. We don't know why, only to be faced by an out-of-focus staircase. In her rush, she has forgotten to put in her contact lenses, something we've all done in moments of panic. Mm. But that simple moment reinforces an everyday reality, which the film is pregnant with. It's the true story of the art collector, André Bernheim, magnificently played by André de Sullier in one of the best performances of the year. And the days, the weeks and the months following his stroke. He is surrounded by his accomplished, creative comfortably off people. His daughter, Emmanuel, is a novelist, played by Sophie Marceau. His wife, with a heart of cement, is a successful sculptor, played by Charlotte Rampling. I hate to say it, but the cat is out of the bag if you've noticed any of the publicity surrounding the film. That is, the film is about assisted dying. I don't think I'm giving too much away. So Andre Bernheim has has had a stroke, and as he says, I am not who I was, and surviving is not living. Being a Francois Ozon film, the permutations are incalculable, and the whole process is just fascinating. It's not a police procedural, it's a medical procedural. Of course, nobody wants him to die, even though he is a monster, the flashbacks in which he is also played by André de Soulier show him to be an unsympathetic parent. As Sophie Marceau's Emmanuel says, he is a terrible father, but I love him very much. There is nothing like emotional ambiguity to drive the engine of a film, and Emmanuel is often seen charging out of the hospital in disgust. But it's the detail of the actual process that I found so fascinating with credible, sympathetic characters conveying the facts. Mm. I'm sure the bureaucratic red tape in France is far different about assisted dying than it is over here, but in the United Kingdom. But it isn't straightforward. And even as the drama moves ahead, there are unexpected personal flies cast into the ointment. Of course, it's not a pretty film. After all, it deals with old age and the messiness and humiliation of being in a hospital at the mercy of a medical institution. Mm. And Ozon does not shy away from the degrading. So Everything Went Fine is, is a challenging film, but it's also an educational one. 
a profoundly moving, occasionally funny, and at times an even exciting revelatory film. It's everything went fine, best. yes. Yes, don't get confused when everything went fine and everything everywhere all at once. Very, two went very fine. different films. <laughs> yes. Um, and where do you see it, James? Is it? Uh... Oh, it's available on Curzon Home Cinema and selected art house venues around the country. Okay, that's super. James, and it's one you. of his best films. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, the good, the good Ozone are absolutely wonderful, I confess. I, again, don't like absolutely everything, but, you know, some of his movies are just glorious. This um, is him on top form. And it's great to see Sophie Marceau again. James, thank you very much indeed. That's all we've got time for, though, this week for The Business of Film. But James will be back with more at the same time next week. I want to be alone. My precious. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you?